Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. Hi, I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And just before we get started today on talking about those sneaky hidden sugars, I just wanted to tell you that I have a Facebook page called Life After Sugar, where I do little lives every day, so check that out. And also I have an Instagram account called My Life After Sugar, and that's where I post pictures of what I eat, things I do, you know, Instagram stuff. As well as my website, which is aftersugarclub.com, that's aftersugarclub.com, where I have tons of free resources for you. So check that out too. All right, let's talk about these sneaky hidden sugars. Or are they really hidden? Well, I mean, the food companies are obliged by law to list all of the ingredients in their products, but they have pretty sneaky ways of naming the different types of sugars in products so that we consumers get so befuddled, so confused, that we don't even understand what exactly those ingredients are. So food companies often use sugars with, let's say, unusual names, either dry sugar or liquid sugar. Sometimes they use fancy names like glucose or fructose or sucrose, but they all mean sugar. So for dry sugars, watch out on the list of ingredients for terms like barley malt or beet sugar or brown sugar or even buttered sugar. What's that? Or cane juice crystals, cane sugar, castor sugar, coconut sugar, corn sweetener, crystalline fructose, date sugar, dextran, malt powder, ethyl maltol, fruit juice concentrate, golden sugar, invert sugar, maltodextrin, maltose, muscovado sugar, panela, palm sugar, organic raw sugar, rapadura sugar, or evaporated cane juice, or even confectioners or powdered sugar. I mean, they all sound pretty fancy, but basically, at the end of the day, they all are the same. They're all sugar. Pretty much the same for syrups and liquid sugars, which are added in large quantities to many, many processed products, either foods or cold drinks or other type of sweet liquids. So common syrups to look out for on the list of ingredients on food labels include agave nectar, carob syrup, golden syrup, high fructose corn syrup, that one's pretty much everywhere, even honey and maple syrup, malt syrup, molasses, oat syrup, rice bran syrup, and rice syrup. They all sound like a healthier version of sugar, but unfortunately, 
They're all sugars, all the same. So the takeaway here is that yes, sugar has many different names and many different forms that the industry uses in a wide variety of food products and that's why sugar is so difficult to spot on the list of ingredients because it has so many different synonyms. Now that's for sugars, but when it comes to starches, it's a completely different story. Because if I look at the FDA Food and Drug Administration website for their regulatory information there, what it says in their policy is, in the absence of a standard of identity, starch meeting the specification of the United States pharmacopoeia is acceptable for food use. They say that for purposes of labeling, in accordance with Section 4031 of the Federal Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act and Section 4 blah 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 of the Fair Packaging and Labeling Act, the term starch is considered the common or usual name for starch made from corn. Alternatively, the name cornstarch may be used. Starches from other sources should be designated by some non-misleading term that indicates the source of such starch, for example, potato starch, wheat starch, or tapioca starch. And, and I promise I'll stop quoting this very soon, as I read along it says, a regulation has been promulgated to prescribe safe conditions of use for food starch modified this regulation requires that the label shall bear the name of the additive food starch modified and this name should be used to designate this additive on labels of fabricated foods in which it is used as an ingredient. Okay, so, I mean, unless you actually work within the food industry, if you're anything like me, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, especially for us consumers who are just wondering What's in my food? And what does that all mean anyway? Well, the thing is that foods containing refined carbs or specifically refined starches are very often A, highly refined and processed and B, with very little nutritional value. Any type of flour that's been milled and had the bran and the germ removed is considered to be refined starch or a refined carb. I mean, removing the bran and germ does improve the shelf life of the grain and gives it a finer texture, but then companies have to fortify the flour because removing the bran and the germ and refining the flour or the starch removes the B vitamins, the iron and the dietary fiber. And do we, consumers, really want a long, long shelf life? for our foods? Or is a long shelf life really for the companies who sell these products? Examples of refined starches are bread and tortillas containing white flour, bagels that contain white flour, waffles, pastries, breakfast cereals, white rice and pizza, especially when the crust is made with white flour. And have you ever seen modified cornstarch on a list of ingredients? Do you know what that is? Well, basically, modified cornstarch is produced by physically, chemically or enzymatically treating with native starch to alter its physical and chemical properties 
to meet certain food manufacturing needs. It's very often used as either an emulsifying agent, for example in salad dressings when oil is added, because the cornstarch stabilizes the oil in water emulsion, or more commonly it's used as a thickening agent in fat-free products because modified cornstarch is added as a thickening agent so as to give the product, like yogurt for example, that lovely creamy texture which normally, naturally, would exist thanks to the fat. But when you take the fat out, then the texture, that mouthfeel, is awful and the companies have to use something else to replace that lovely texture of fat. So what they do in low-fat versions is to give that desired thickness to yogurts, puddings or whatever with modified cornstarch. Now the thing with starches, and modified cornstarch especially, is they're everywhere in processed products. And why I'm telling you about the starches in the same podcast episode as hidden sugars is that cornstarch in itself is high in calories and carbs, but it lacks important nutrients like protein, fiber, vitamins, and minerals. It basically has almost no nutritional value. Not only that, but the fact that it's a starch and in powder form with all the fiber taken out means that it affects the body in pretty much the same way as sugar does. In other words, it creates a blood sugar rise pretty fast. So it's digested very quickly in your body and this speed of digestion can lead to spikes in your blood sugar levels, just like sugar. Why does it matter? Well, when your blood sugar levels go up and down and up and down several times a day, for days and days, for weeks and weeks, what can arise is what we call metabolic syndrome, which is linked to a condition called insulin resistance. Because when your blood sugar level spikes, your pancreas produces insulin to bring down that sugar level. And if you get to a point where your pancreas is producing too much insulin too often, what can happen is that your body kind of becomes deaf to the insulin. And this is called insulin resistance. Now the job of insulin is to help glucose enter the cells. But with insulin resistance, your cells don't respond normally to insulin and glucose can't enter the cells as easily. And very often what happens is that extra glucose, that extra sugar in your blood, is stored as body fat. And over time, if your blood sugar is high, then you might suffer from metabolic syndrome, which includes an increased risk of heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, excess body fat around the waist, visceral fat, that means fat around your organs, especially the liver, abnormal cholesterol levels, or high triglyceride levels. So if you develop more of these conditions that are linked to high blood sugar, then your risk of complications also rises. So high blood sugar levels can be the result of sugary foods, but also products that are made with refined starches, like flour or cornstarch. Bread, tortillas, bagels, crackers, even though they don't even taste sweet, inside your body, they affect your blood sugar in pretty much the same way as sweet-tasting sugars do. Now, when I first started my life after sugar, I had no idea about any of this stuff, 
and even less about how food labeling actually works. But of course, I've had time over the last six years to read up a lot about this, and let me see if I can summarize it for you here. Now, I'm looking at the Health Canada website for their food labeling changes, and I gotta give them that. They are making an effort to change the food labeling to make it clearer for us consumers. For example, they're trying to make the serving size more consistent so that it's easier to compare similar foods. And they are revising the percentage of daily values based on updated science, which is encouraging. And they're also adding a new percentage daily value for total sugars. And the changes to the list of ingredients include grouping sugars-based ingredients in brackets after the name sugars, because this will help consumers identify all of the sources of sugars added to a food. The only thing is, if you read the footnotes, is that they say that grouping of sugars-based ingredients is not required when the final product contains less than 0.5 grams of sugars per serving. What does that mean? It means that as of November 2020, Health Canada will exempt food containing sugars-based ingredients from the requirement to group them as sugars in the list of ingredients. What are sugars-based ingredients anyway? Well, sugars-based ingredients, it's not only difficult to say, it's difficult to know what that is, are ingredients with common names such as agave syrup or isomaltose or pear juice concentrate, which Health Canada recognizes may not be recognized by most Canadians as sugars-based ingredients. So in cases where a product does contain a large proportion of these ingredients, grouping would move the sugars-based ingredients closer to the beginning of the ingredients list because ingredients are organized by largest volume first. So this way, the relative proportion of sugars-based ingredients in the product would be indicated more clearly. That's the theory anyway. And of course, this is for pre-packaged products, right? Because whole foods don't have any type of added sugars and don't even have a long list of ingredients. But I digress. So Health Canada gives an example of the ingredients in a fruit berry salad dressing in descending order. Ingredients, water, concentrated white grape juice, white wine vinegar, canola oil, strawberry puree, Dijon mustard, which contains water, mustard seeds, vinegar, salt and turmeric, concentrated raspberry juice, concentrated blackberry juice, salt, concentrated lemon juice, poppy seeds, spices and xanthan gum. So the ingredients concentrated white grape juice, strawberry puree, concentrated raspberry juice and concentrated blackberry juice are replacing a sweetening agent, for example, sugar. Therefore, these ingredients are functional substitutes for a sweetening agent and must be grouped together in brackets following the term sugars. So the new list of ingredients would be water, sugars, then in brackets, concentrated white grape juice, strawberry juice, concentrated raspberry juice, concentrated blackberry juice, and then the other ingredients. So the sugars come higher up on the label 
and we consumers can see that there's more of them in the product. Now, I want to come back to starches, and you may find me annoying to, <laughs> to come back to talking about starches again, but the thing is, on labels, sugars are becoming more and more clearly indicated, but I'm looking at the Health Canada information about nutrition facts tables and carbohydrates, which include starches, and what they say here is that the amount of carbohydrates in the nutrition facts table includes fiber, starch, and sugars. Fiber and sugars must be listed under carbohydrates, but starch is optional, which means that a food manufacturer can list if they want to. And do you think they do? Of course not, because starch is pretty much the same as sugar, and they don't want us to realize that there's starch as well as sugar in their products. So sometimes on the nutrition facts table, you'll see carbohydrates, you'll see sugars, you'll see fiber, but you won't see starch. And that's a real shame because, as I said, starches are pretty much the same as sugars, except that the food labels don't reflect this fact. So what do smart consumers like us need to do? Well, my tip is to read the list of ingredients first and not to get caught up in the nutrition facts table because that can be misleading and it can also be pretty confusing with all their percentages and, and portion sizes. Even though they're trying to make it clearer, you're far better off looking at the list of ingredients and checking if the list of ingredients contains sugars, starches, or both. Now, I've been reading the special edition of Time magazine from April 2021. It's called The Science of Sugar, How It Works and How We Use It. And I'd like to read you a little excerpt from the magazine. I've been doing little lives on it on my Life After Sugar Facebook page, but let me read you a little excerpt from it here. It talks about how the products on our supermarket shelves have been engineered to contain more and more hidden sugars. I quote, As much as three quarters of the products in grocery stores have some kind of added sugar, says Michael Moss, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and the author of the 2014 book Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. I remember reading this book in 2015 or 2016. It made a huge impact on me, not just because I was beginning to be sugar-free then, but also as a consumer. So the title alludes to the possibly addictive nature of sugar. There are special sweetness receptors in each of the mouth's 10,000 taste buds, all of which are connected to the brain's pleasure zones. Having more sugar makes us crave still more of it, a phenomenon food manufacturers gleefully exploit. Over the years, Moss explains, nutrition scientists working for the likes of Coke, Pepsi, Kraft and General Foods have used rather involved mathematical analyses to calculate what's known as the bliss point for sugar in various products, that is, the precise Goldilocks amount of sweetness to reach a food or drink's peak allure. When you talk to nutritionists, the problem isn't the fact that the industry has perfected the engineering of the bliss point in cookies, ice cream and soda, Michael Moss says. The real change 
has come in their marching around the grocery store adding sugar to things that didn't used to be sweet before. Bread now has added sugar and a bliss point for added sweetness. Yogurts can have as much sugar in them per serving as ice cream. And there's pasta sauce. In fact, in most jars of Prego tomato sauce, for example, sugar is the top ingredient after tomatoes. A half cup of Prego traditional includes more than two teaspoons of sugar, which is as much as two plus Oreos. I quote some more. Compare a 1960s vintage bottle of ketchup, soda or salad dressing to today's version and you might well find an increase in added sugar, but it's hard to say for sure. Unfortunately, it wasn't until 1990 that the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, compelled food companies to expand the list of ingredients on their product labels to disclose more information on nutrition and additives. But available evidence confirms that the industry has added loads of sugar to the grocery shelves. In so doing, they may have altered the national palate so that even savoury foods and condiments are expected to have at least some sweetness. Shocking, right? How can we step out of this vicious cycle of more and more added sugars in so many processed products? Well, I guess the answer is to stop buying those processed products, recognize that they are engineered by the food industry and are not really food, and stick to whole, real, unadulterated foods that either don't have labels on them or a long list of ingredients and don't need to be tampered with. I mean, I think that we as consumers have just as much non-buying power as we have buying power. In other words, we actually do have the choice, even if it may not feel like it, I think we do have that choice of buying whole real foods and real ingredients to make our own recipes without being at the mercy of the food industry. And if we don't buy those products with added sugars and starches, then we completely sidestep the whole issues of metabolic disorders, and everything else that goes with these types of products, like cravings and that emotional attachment we have to those foods. So thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast episode, scroll down, leave me a review, and let me know if it was helpful for you in your life after sugar. And don't forget to head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, to download your free guide for getting more energy with less sugar. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.